gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Welcome to episode 74 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the longest-running podcast ever produced in Adair, Oklahoma. It may seem to be the traditional month given for the release of Action Comics number 1, and this being the 75th anniversary of the release of that issue, I thought I would take this episode and the next, which coincidentally is also episode 75, to look at the overall history of Superman in the Bronze Age. But first... I would be remiss if I failed to point out that this episode is sponsored by Discount Comic Book Services. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. You can find them on the web at www.dcbservice.com and also make sure to visit their sister stores in stock trades and my digital comics. Russell Bragg has left a comment for us on the show posting over at supermanofthebronzeage.com. And he writes, and this is in reference to the previous episode, episode 73, about the Action Comics 484 where uh, Superman takes a wife. Um, He writes, great episode as always. I was bound and determined to email you after listening to episode 73, so I took notes as I listened at work. Action 484 was always one of my favorite comic books. I probably didn't get it when it came out, but I have one now. Actually, it's my second copy, replacing a worn-out copy. I've always loved the multiple Earths and missed the concept when it went away in 1986. I guess the multi-Earths are back now, but it's just not the same. I'm so glad that their marriage in this issue wasn't the end of the story. I really enjoyed the Mr. and Mrs. Superman stories in the Superman and Superman Family comics. They were fun reads. If you wanted to know, and these are answers to some questions that came during the episode, 
Tusky was the name of the walrus on the Aquaman cartoon. By the way, Aquaman Sea Stallion was called Storm, and Aquaman with Aqualads being called Imp. That's right. Thank you, Russell. Iris is being held by a villain called Ringmaster, Beauregard Bear, on the cover of Flash 262. He was an ally of the Golden Glider. Okay. See... We had two Superman guys on. We had no clue about some of this. The hero called TNT was the green man menacing our heroes on the cover of Super Friends 12. His real name was Thomas N. Thomas and had a sidekick named, named Dan the Dynamite, who was Daniel Dunbar. TNT later joined the All-Star Squadron. You know, that's right. And I think Dan the Dynamite uh, was, in, yeah, was in a few issues of Young Justice um, when, a bunch of the old, when a bunch of the old school like sidekick heroes like Dan the Dynamite and the girl with a thousand gimmicks um, were trying to say that Young Justice shouldn't be allowed to be heroes and stuff. It was somewhat of a long story when I read it. But anyway, so, okay, thank you. In November of 1975, ABC debuted the new original One Roman television series. For one reason or another, for one reason or another, the series initially took place during the World War II era. At the end of 1976, in what was perhaps an attempt to mimic the success of the television program, an editorial decision was made at DC Comics to focus on the Earth 2 Wonder Woman during the World War II era. This stretch of issues started with Wonder Woman 228, which, had, which was from February 1977, and ended with Wonder Woman 243 from May of 78. This is a rather fun year and a half in the Amazon's life, as she encounters the likes of the Red Panzer, the Angleman, Captain Strang, and the Cheetah. She even meets her Earth-1 counterpart in a nutty crossover that signals the return to the present day. This 180-degree shift was likely due to the fact that the TV series shifted to the present day when CBS took it over from ABC for the second season. I guess that's all for now. I hope I'm not the only email you get. Looking forward to episode 74, Russell Bragg. First of all, Russell, I want to thank you for all of the research... And even if you just knew this on the top of your head, for taking the time to write all that out, that is pretty amazing stuff. I I haven't read really hardly any Wonder Woman, so I I knew there was she was doing the Earth 2 stuff, but I didn't know exactly when, because I didn't know exactly when the TV show started. So that was awesome information. Thank you so much. And if you did actually do research for all of this... Thank you for doing that. That's awesome. Unfortunately, well, that doesn't sound right the way I'm saying it, but actually you are the only email I got this month, but that's okay because one is better than none, right? Um, so if anyone else wants to, because, you know, someone else has got to help out Russell because he can't be writing in all the time, um, please feel free to send an email to superbronze1970 at gmail.com or to leave a, leave a note on the show's postings at supermanandthebronzeage.com. Now next up, before I get into the Superman in the Bronze Age, I am going to play a couple of promos, and I'll be right back. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! Or maybe... <laughs> How about... I am... Batman! Or... This is a job for Superman! Do you remember... Power Rangers! 
Or this? Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this? Autobots, transform! <laughs> or this? By the power of Grayskull! Or... For the honors of Grayskull! Or have you seen the latest episode of... Hello. I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. Charlie's GeekCast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where, currently, I'm covering Grant Morrison's run on JLA, one storyline at a time. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, hopefully... dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. (laughs) Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in my hand. I'm Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You aspects can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak the latter. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast, ffcast.libsyn.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, and like I said, this episode is going to be a little different. We aren't going to talk about any specific comics, and I gave Dave the month off from talking about Superboy and the Legion. Instead, we're going to take a two-episode look at the Bronze Age as a whole. This episode, we're going to focus on the 70s, and what better place to start than the beginning. Mort Weisinger, who had been the editor of the Superman family of titles through the 50s and 60s, decided to step down in 1970. His final issue on most of the Superbooks were the September 1970 cover-dated issues, although he stuck around a few more months on the main Superman title. However, the powers to be decided to split the books up between several editors. It's, well... 
let me let me clarify that it's kind of the powers to be mostly they were going to give most of it to just one editor but he didn't feel like he knew enough of, well for one thing he wasn't a huge fan of the character and number two he didn't think he knew enough about the character to cover everything so they split all of the super books amongst several different editors the first one was Murray Boltonoff. He had actually taken over as editor of Superboy in 68, and he was given Action Comics. Now, Boltonoff uh, kept Leo Dorfman on as the principal writer and became the first editor to pair Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson together as the interior artists. Uh, to clarify, Weisinger had actually been the first to pair the two of them on covers, and they had done uh, quite a few covers uh, for the last couple of years of his during his reign on the books, but it wasn't until Boltonoff's first issue of Action, which was 393, that they actually started working together on the interior pages. Boltonoff's time on Action continued many of the Silver Age tropes from Weisinger's editorial ship, including multiple imaginary stories. Later on, he would bring Metamorpho on as a backup feature, and over in Superboy, he took on the Legion of Superheroes as a backup feature, only to see their popularity eventually lead them to taking over the book entirely, and he's also responsible for bringing Dave Cockrum and Mike Grell on to draw their adventures. Lastly, he was given the reins of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, but he only edited that, edited that for three issues before handing it off to Jack Kirby, which makes Jack Kirby super editor number two. Now, Jack Kirby had taken over as writer of Jimmy Olsen with issue 133, introducing the world to WGBS, Morgan Edge, Inner Gang, The Wizwagon, Habitat, The Outsiders, which is the biker gang, not the superhero team, Jude and the Harrys, The Project, and reintroduced the Newsboy Legion. And that was just the first issue. After three issues, he took over as editor of the title until he left after issue 148. Unfortunately, for all the innovations and additions he brought to the Superman world, one of the other things his run was known for was that his Superman and Jimmy Olsen were always redrawn to be more on model. I say always. Actually, I think there was a couple issues where they didn't redraw it. But um, granted, he wasn't the only one to have his art changed in such a way. Um, there were multiple other examples, including Alex Toth having a Superman head redrawn. Um, Kurt Schaffenberger had been brought in back during the Silver Age to re-ink or to ink or redraw like the heads of Lois Lane and Lana Lang whenever whenever Kurt Swan or Wayne Boring was doing the art to make them look more pretty um, and there's other examples too so these guys so Kirby wasn't the only one but it's he's one of the ones where everyone knows about it especially since the art whoever came in to do the fixes has had art that never really matched Jack Kirby's art style. You had Al Plastino, who started off, who has a very different art style, and then you have um, Murphy Anderson, who's got a very, I call it a soft art style, whereas Jack Kirby's is very hard-edged, so they didn't mix very well. Um, and, of course, at the at the time, it was a pretty big and very noticeable deal. The third editor to take over Superman book was E. Nelson Bridwell, who had been Weisinger's assistant for years, and he was given Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, where he added Robert Kanaker's Thorn or Rose and Thorn as a backup feature. Also, since he was also the assistant to both Julie Schwartz and Jack Kirby, he was not only able to work some of Kirby's subplots into the Lois Lane book, 
but he was also able to help facilitate the crossing over of several aspects of their books, such as Morgan Edge being such a central character beyond the Jimmy Olsen title. He may also have ghost-edited the final two Weisinger issues of both Superman and Action, but there really isn't any proof of that. It's just rumor. Mike Sikowski became the writer, penciler, and editor of the Supergirl series over in Adventure Comics. Sikowski gave Supergirl a new job, updated her appearance, and revamped her love life. One of the most well-known contributions was the ever-changing Supergirl costume. Costumes would actually be designed by the readers who would send them in, and some of them would be drawn into the issue before one that fe- bef- yeah. and that would go on for several issues before one that featured thigh-high boots and forearm-covering gloves was chosen to be the norm for a little while. Eventually, that would move on to the hot pants and the blouse. The low-cut blouse. Anyway, however, after several continuity snafus, such as Supergirl's ability to heal people with a touch, which I don't remember ever happening before, misunderstanding the properties of gold kryptonite, and the appearance of the Phantom Zone planet, uh, E. Nelson Bridwell was brought in to proofread Sikowski's scripts to make sure they kind of stayed in line. And finally, the fifth editor, who I mentioned earlier was the one that they were going to give just about everything to, but he didn't think it would be a good idea, is Julie Schwartz. After helping usher in DC Silver Age by revamping The Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, The Atom, and Batman, and updating the team concept with the Justice League of America, Schwartz started off with World's Finest, changing it from a Superman-Batman team-up book to a book where Superman teamed up with other heroes. Granted, Batman continued to have a pretty strong presence in the book thanks to cameos and repeated team-ups with the Man of Steel. Superman also got it to team up with others such as the Flash, Robin, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman in her depowered judo days, Hawkman, and te- I guess technically Hawkwoman, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Doctor Fate, the Vigilante, and others. But he's most well known for also taking over the Superman title. Ironically, his first issue, Superman 233, was actually the last Superbook to usher in the Bronze Age, but is actually given credit as the start of Superman's Bronze Age. Teaming up Denny O'Neill with the Swanderson art team, Schwartz directed several new changes, such as updating Clark's wardrobe, making Clark a TV reporter, and destroying Kryptonite. His first year on the book also instituted a long-running subplot dealing with a sand creature that was stealing Superman's power. By the end of the year, Superman's powers were said to be cut in half, and by the following issue, he was back to full power, with no explanation. But I'm getting ahead of myself. With so many hands in the pie, though, things were about to get a little crazy. Other than Clark's new job and the lack of kryptonite, none of the other changes in Superman were really reflected in the other books, including World's Finest, which was edited by Schwartz and often written by Denny O'Neill. Superman and Action showed... Morgan Edge is Clark's tough new boss, but in Jimmy Olsen he was also the head of Intergang, which would cause a lot of problems if he ever got caught. Fortunately, Bridwell solved this by introducing the idea of an evil Edge clone that... Oh, fortunately, Bridwell solved this by introducing the idea that the evil Edge was actually an evil factory clone that, after the reveal of the real Edge in the Superman in the other super books, was killed off in an issue of Jimmy Olsen so that the real Edge could resume his life. But more changes were coming. 
1972, there was another editorial shakeup. Joe Orlando took over Jimmy Olsen after Jack Kirby left, and later took over Adventure as well, which Supergirl eventually left for her own title, and he would turn Adventure Comics into a regular anthology title. Dorothy Wolf Wolfook Folk took over Lois Lane to help steer it to gain more female readers and help launch the Supergirl into her own solo series. But by the end of the year, both titles would be given to Robert Kaniger, who would edit both titles until they ended in 1974. Boltonoff returned to Jimmy Olsen with issue 154 and stayed with it even after it became Superman Family in 1974. Also, in an effort to solidify Superman continuity, Boltonoff swapped Action and World's Finest with Schwartz, taking Metamorpho with him as a backup feature and bringing Bob Haney on to help introduce the Super Sons. As for Schwartz, he would retain Superman and Action until 1986, adding DC Comics Presents to the mix in 1978, and eventually, after a couple other editors helmed it for a little while, taking over Superman Family before it got cancelled. Now, here are a few highlights from just the 70s. He brought on fresh new voices like Daniel O'Neill, Lynn Ween, Elliot S. Magan, Gary Conway, I'm sorry, Jerry Conway, and Martin Pascoe to join Carrie Bates as Superman writers. He had, he brought, yeah, he had unforgettable Neil Adams and Nick Carty covers, lots of wonderful Swanderson art, Superman backup series offering insights into Krypton, Clark Kent's private life, and the lives of supporting cast members. Action Comics, exciting non-Superman backups, including The Human Target and Green Arrow Black Canary. Superman-Captain Marvel clashes at last, beginning with The Man of Steel Smackdown with Captain Thunder in Superman 276. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, all too brief stint as the Superman artist, although he would draw a lot, a lot of covers. New villains, including the Galactic Golem, Terra Man, Black Rock, and the Atomic Skull, the revitalization of the Toy Man, Bizarro, and Metallo, and the return of Titano the Super Ape, Jerry Conway's addition of Solomon Grundy to Superman's rogues gallery, new supporting cast members and concepts, including manipulative media mogul Morgan Edge, although that was really a Jack Kirby thing, I thought, eh, maybe I'm wrong, um, Steve Lombard, Rona Barnett, uh, inspired, oh, I'm sorry, Lola Barnett, who was inspired by real newspaper columnist Rona Barnett Barrett, and DC's omnipresent science facility, Star Labs. Other things that happened while, during this, during the 70s, the introduction of a super rival, the barrel-chested Sean Connery-inspired Vartox, Superman returning to Saturday morning television as one of the stars of the long-running Super Friends franchise, a wave of Superman merchandising, including the perennial collection collected edition Superman from the 30s to the 70s, and later Superman from the 30s to the 80s, the popular Mego Superman action figure, and the Superman Power Records, classic Super Tales being issued in a variety of formats, supersized battles, which were actually team-ups with Spider-Man, Muhammad Ali, Wonder Woman, and Captain Marvel in tabloid special editions, the reintroduction of the Golden Age Earth 2 Superman, Superman the movie revolutionizing the comic book motion picture, the introduction of comics' first miniseries, World of Krypton, which Schwartz actually edited also, the team-up title DC Comics Presents joining the lineup, Superman returning to newspaper syndication in the world's greatest superheroes comic strip, the bottle City of Candor's re-enlargement, 
Martin Pascoe's spectacular The Life Story of Superman in Action Comics, and the decade's most significant achievement, creator credit and financial compensation afforded by DC to Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. The 70s were pretty much a great time to be a Superman fan. That pretty much brings us to the end of the 1970s as far as the background stuff. But what about what happened actually in the books? After a couple more promos, we'll look at what happened in the books. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. The magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics, and the 90s saw his death, rebirth, and marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, the Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at 75, 75, the celebration, celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The Celebration of a Legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. 
the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman in the Bronze Age. All right, as I mentioned, the bron- technically the Bronze Age started uh, once Mort Weisinger left in 1970. So here's some of the stuff that actually happened in the books during this decade. Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane saw the debut of Rose and Thorn in a new backup feature written by Robert Kaniger. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen with number 133 brought Jack Kirby. He introduced Morgan Edge, WGBS, the Newsboy Legion, and Flipper Dipper. Issue 134 had the first dark side. In World's Finest Comics, issues 198 to 199 uh, was a team, two-part team-up with The Flash. And let's see. And that's it for 1970. 1971. Over in Superman, Superman 233 first um, saw yeah started the Kryptonite Nevermore series. Kryptonite was taken away, and Clark became a TV newsman. Issue 246 had the first appearance of Star Labs. Um, the the Legion backups began in Superboy number 172. Jimmy Olsen 135 saw the debut of the of the Cadmus Project, although it was just referred to as the Project then. Um, let's see, and that's also the year that Superman from the 30s to the 70s was uh, was was printed and was released. Moving into 1972, Superman number 248 had the first appearance of the Galactic Golem. And 249 had the first appearance of Terra Man. Adventure Comics 424 was Supergirl's last issue, spinning off into her own solo title. And World's Finest number 214 was the last non-Batman team-up. Also in 1972... Well, actually, that's about it. In 1973, Action Comics number 421 saw the first appearance of Captain Strong, who was a character inspired by Popeye, who in turn was a character that inspired Superman. Uh, Superman over in Superman number 264 saw the first appearance of Steve Lombard over in Superboy issue 196 had the last Superboy solo issue before Superboy, before it became Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes uh, let's see Supergirl started her, oh Supergirl started her title in the 72 what am I talking about um, and Jimmy Olsen number 155 Jimmy Olsen became known as Mr. Action and over in World's Finest Comics, in issue 215, saw the first appearance of the Super Sons. This this year also saw the the uh, the premiere of the Amazing World of Superman official Metropolis edition, which retold the origin of Superman in a story by E. Nelson Bridwell, Carmine Infantino, Kurt Swan, and Murphy Anderson. Uh, it also saw the debut of the Legion of Superheroes number one through four, which was just a reprint series of older stories. Uh, Secret Origins number one made its debut 
with issue one reprinting the action number one Superman origin and issue two reprinting Supergirl's origin. Uh, let's see. And also in 73 is when Super Friends began. Moving into 1974, Action Comics number 432 saw the first appearance of the second Toy Man. This would be the younger, skinnier one. Uh, we actually covered that a few episodes ago. Over in Superman, issue number 276 uh, was the first appearance of Captain Thunder, the Captain Marvel analog, because he didn't want to use that yet, I guess. Number 281 had the first appearance of Vartox, and 282 had the first appearance of Name L of the Phantom Zone. Uh, Supergirl ended with issue number two and moved over to Superman Family. Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane ended with issue 137 and she moved over to Superman Family. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen ended with 163 and it became Superman Family. I should also point out that uh, at first, well, that Superman Family was the first $1 comic. Uh, specifically, produced as a $1 comic, not a special issue that would be a dollar. It was a $1 comic, and basically Superman Family uh, rotated those three features, and it was a bi-monthly book, it rotated those three features, Supergirl, Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen, each one got two stories a year, and then the and that would be the usually the first story of the issue, and then the rest of the issue would be reprints and they actually created new logos for all of the characters so that when you reprinted them it didn't always say Superman. So that makes sense. Uh, 1974 also saw the famous first edition reprint of Action Comics number one in tabloid size. Um, let's see. Secret Origins number six had a reprint of Superboy and the Legion. And let's see. Uh, moving into 1975, Action Comics number 447 had the Siegel and Schuster tribute, which was Joseph J. Jerome. We called, we covered that a few episodes ago as well. Uh, let's see, The Amazing World of DC Comics number, which was number seven, was an all Superman issue, and DC Special had two issues focused on Superman, number 16 and number 18, which pretty much were just reprints. Super Team Family Number One came out, um, which had Superman on the cover and actually reprinted an issue of World's Finest. And this was 1975 was also the year that the Superman Power Record sets began. In 1976, uh, Action Comics 485 saw the first appearance of Black Rock. Superman 295, or I'm sorry, Superman 301 was the first appearance of Skull, an evil organization uh, determined to rule the world. Uh, let's see. All-Star Comics, uh, which actually returned to sh showcasing stories featuring the Justice Society of America, uh, had an appearance by the Earth-2 Superman in issue number 64, and issue 58, it saw the first appearance of Power Girl, who was basically, for all intents and purposes, the Earth-2 Supergirl. So that was her debut. Amazing World of DC Comics number 9 was a Superboy and the Legion issue. Uh, let's see. DC Superstars number three reprinted a Superboy and the Legion stories. Nine, ten, and twelve apparently featured new Superboy stories. Four Star Spectacular numbers one through five featured Superboy reprints. Uh, let's see. 
limited edition collectors or limited collectors edition C47 was Superman saluting the bicentennial and C48 had collected a bunch of reprints of the Superman and Flash races and C49 was a Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes story which I believe Dave has covered over the Superboy backup this is also the year that saw the printing the debut of Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man Super Team Families numbers 3, 5 and 6 reprinted Superman stories Superheroes Battle Super Gorillas had a reprint of Superman vs. Titano, and Secret Origins of the Super DC Heroes was a hardcover reprint edition featuring Superman's origin reprinted. Moving into 1977, issue number 471 of Action Comics had the first appearance of Feora Hu Ol, who is actually going to be pretty, have a bit, well, I don't know how big the role will be, but it will have a role in the Superman. Uh, Man of Steel movie coming out next month as I record this. Superman number 310 has the first appearance of the new Metallo. Uh, Adventure Comics 453 and 454 had a new Superboy series in it. Uh, let's see. Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, changed to Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes with issue number 231. In Superman Family 183, Van Z and Akvar become the new Nightwing and Flamebird. Uh, Superman made an appearance in Batman 293. He also showed up in Black Lightning numbers 4 through 5. Black Lightning was, of course, a hero also of Metropolis. DC Superstars 14 uh, retells Brainiac's origin. DC Special Series number 5 was the Superman Spectacular, which I covered with John Wilson just a couple of episodes ago. Uh, Four Star Spectacular number 6 was also a Superboy reprint. Uh, Pizza Hut, that year, Pizza Hut reprinted Superman number 97 and 113, which are actually Silver Age, but it happened during the Bronze Age, so I'll mention it for you. Uh, let's see. Uh, Super Friends got a cartoon revamp with the all-new Super Friends Hour. In 1978... Uh, let's see... 1978... Action Comics 481 saw the first appearance of the Supermobile. Action Comics 484 was the 40th anniversary special edition issue where Earth 2 Superman married Lois Lane, which we covered just last episode. And issue 487 was the first appearance of Microwave Man. DC Comics Presents made its debut in this year with issues 1 through 4, featuring team-ups with The Flash, Mr. Miracle, and whoever showed up in issue 4. Uh, All-new Collector's Edition C-54 featured a brand new story pitting Superman up against Wonder Woman. C-55 was a Superboy and the Legion story, which actually might have been the one that I thought that they've covered before. C-56 was Superman versus Muhammad Ali, and Superman or and C-58 was Superman versus Shazam. Uh, Earth 2 Superman showed up in All-Star Comics 74. Uh, famous first edition C-61 reprinted Superman number one, the original. Um, Superman the movie was released, starring Christopher Reeve as Superman, Marlon Brando as Jor-El, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Uh, 
Superman the Last Son of Krypton which was a, a novel that uh, which was a novel written by Elliot S. Magan it was released to kind of tie into the movie but it didn't it was actually focused more on the comic book version of the character the world's greatest superheroes which was a newspaper strip began featuring where Superman was one of the main featured characters the green the great Superman book an encyclopedia by Michael L Fleischer was released this year the official Superman quiz book was was released uh, and the challenge of the super friends uh, which was another super friends revamp this time featuring the super friends versus the Legion of Doom featuring Lex Luthor Brainiac and Bizarro from Superman's rogues gallery and then in 1979, Action Comics 500 debuted the, uh, retold the story of Superman's life. Superman number 331 was the first appearance of the Master Jailer, and Superman 338 was the story of the enlargement of Kandor. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes just became just Legion of Superheroes with number 259, and Superboy moved over to the new adventures of to the new adventures of Superboy with issue number one, which technically came out at the end of 79, but it's actually a 1980 issue. Uh, we saw the debut of the very first comic book miniseries, The World of Krypton. All three issues came out at this point. Funny story about World of Krypton, that was actually done quite a bit earlier, and was supposed to come out in uh, around the same time that the Superman movie came out, but it kept getting delayed. So the, uh, so the book itself kept getting delayed. It was originally supposed to be part of Showcase, which as uh, which is part of the DC Explosion, uh, had returned with telling new stories featuring several different characters from DC's char from the DC character vault. However, also as part of DC's implosion, that book got cancelled. So instead, since they really wanted to release these three issues as part to help tie into the Superman movie stuff, they put it out as a miniseries. Very first one ever. Uh, All New Collector's Edition C62 was all about Superman the movie, which sits right over there on my shelf. Brave and the Bold, number 147, had, an, had a team-up of Batman and Supergirl. And issue 150 had Batman team-up with Superman as the mystery guest star. And, also, once again, Super Friends got another revamp, this time as the world's greatest Super Friends. And finally, Best of DC Blue Ribbon Digest number 1 reprinted a bunch of Superman stories. And that brings us to the end of the 70s. I want to give a shout-out to T.O. Morrow's Publishing, as most of the information from this episode and the next one, come from their Krypton Companion book, as well as Back Issue Magazine number 62, both of which focused on Superman and the Bronze Age, although the book actually also focused on the Silver Age as well. Next episode will probably be a little bit shorter, and we're going to look at Superman in the 80s. Well, up until the John Byrne Man of Steel reboot, anyway. Until then... Stay groovy. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. (laughs) 